0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. Favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at conte-usa.com. That's comte-usa.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kara Warren. Um, I want to make a quick note on today's episode that we have the ACS scholarships coming up. So beginning of February, please check out the website and uh, start to apply. There's multiple scholarships to check out. And if you want to get to Des Moines, Iowa this year, you should start thinking about those scholarships. So that's my my first note to everyone out in the cheese world. Um, But then the next thing I want to talk about, and I'm super excited to have, Allison Lincoln, our head cheesemaker of Lincoln's Gorgeous Cheese, She's famous for her award-winning cheese, such as Rockweed and Opus 42. She's a main producer that has been named Best in Class for the Soft-Ripened Flavor category of the World Championship Cheese Contest. Allison, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm psyched. I mean, this is, I've always been a fan of yours. Um, I I used to buy your cheese uh, when I was a buyer ages ago, and I am so glad we've reconnected via the Instagram. I think... uh, you are just, you're just great at making cheese. And I'm so psyched to have you on cutting the curd.
3: Thank you. Well, it's a show I often am listening to while making cheese. So th- th- this is a, 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 fun circle to complete. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, I do love that. I've, I've heard this from, um, I think
1: the gals at Cato corner also mentioned they like making cheese and listening to the show, which I feel like is a super deep honor for me. Um, I, 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 I just, I love it. I think that's, that's the best. I mean, why not have a podcast on in the cheese room? It, it's got to make the day better, right?
3: Well, not only that, it gives you a chance to participate in, in lifelong learning, right? I'm I'm always, always getting inspiration or, or thinking about something a different way after hearing, hearing both makers and mongers talk on your show. Oh man, I thank you. I appreciate that. That's I, I think, yeah, it's an educational program for sure.
1: So um, let's, let's get into it. I'm, I'm psyched to ask you, and maybe some of these are, are kind of silly, but I, I would love to know where does the name Lackens Gorges derive from? I, I understand that you, um, you had a history of studying anthropology at Cornell at Ithaca. Um, it, it, how did that come about? I mean, because it's, it's I, you know, it's a
3: cool name. Thanks. Well, Laken is my last name, and Gorges is actually an, a, a a nod to Cornell. Um, so I love wordplay, and there's a tagline um, uh, which is Ithaca is Gorges because not only is it a beautiful place, but it is in fact surrounded by gorges. And when I when I started my business, um, I was uh, obviously having studied anthropology. I was not involved in food. And in fact, I had a, 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 a career in maritime museums uh, that um, came before being a cheesemaker. So when I did eventually start my own uh, own company, I thought, you know, I want to keep that Cornell thing in there somewhere. And so that's where where Lakin's Gorges came from.
1: And it, it's interesting because by studying that at Cornell, were you able to use that in some of your cheese making? Did it kind of influence your cheese making at all?
3: So not in a direct way. Um, So my background evolving in, in maritime museums, I was so frequently telling the story about how food was preserved for long distances. I often think that that seed was planted in my head that when I... Decided to leave the museum world. I still had all these bits and pieces of information in my head, and so of course it would make sense to start turning milk into cheese because it's a preserved food, and maybe they had it on shipboard. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what that's what I was thinking about. I was like, well, maybe the pirates were
1: on at sea, and they were constantly thinking, "I need a nibble of cheese." And so this is, this is how you can relate it into your cheese making career. I thought, I thought about that. I was like, cause you know, you know, primitive cooking methods. And like, uh, I was like, she's, she's got to know this strange history of cheese something. And that's how it's all connecting right now.
3: Exactly, it, it is. It, that's a great thing about anthropology because you know it's a it's the study of people and and how we've evolved and the things that we do. So so I still feel like I'm practicing anthropology. I just get to feed people now.
1: <laughs> exactly, I love that. Um, and and I was reading up online that you had a few influences from like Peter Dixon at Parish Hill to uh, Kathy Biss of West Highland Dairy in Scotland. Um, how did they influence your cheese making? Like what what sort of things did they bring? To to light in in when you were studying cheesemaking,
3: so I am an accidental cheesemaker uh, because this was a change of career for me. I, I didn't actually go into this saying, "Ah, oh, yes, I am going to become a cheesemaker." I was hired at a Sprout Creek Farm in New York State back in two thousand two. And ended up becoming the cheesemaker there, knowing nothing. And so I was learning on a daily basis with my uh, up to my elbows in curd. And as it happened, the farm had scheduled Peter and Kathy to conduct workshops for local cheesemakers shortly around, uh, right around the time when I started there. So they became my first mentors. So, um, Kathy, I like to say, I learned the importance of writing down everything, including when I take a break for a cuppa, as she would say. And, um, also the idea that n- note-taking and, and, and keeping track of your process is, is so important. Um, and the other thing that she, she ha- would say was, you know, every little piece of curd is important. So don't leave any behind. And, and it can be so when you're looking at the bottom of the vat and you've just got these little pieces that are stuck to the side and you start thinking, oh God, do I have to really scrape these off? Yeah, you do. Cause you know, they, they add up and they fill up a cheese mold. And Peter had a very different approach because he was teaching more about the why behind how the cheese was happening, like the science behind it. And, and so having those first two as my exposure to, to actually being taught about being a cheesemaker really really set the tone for how I approach cheese. And, and so it's become sort of that, that balance of art, science, and alchemy that's, that's really been what sustained me as a cheesemaker.
1: Those are some very wise words you just said. I, I'm really I uh, I don't know Kathy Biss well enough, but she sounds amazing. And and Peter, as you know, is, has been on the program, and he's just an amazing fun guy to hang around with. So i i that's that's very cool that you just shared that with us. I'm I'm excited to learn more, especially about Kathy because I don't know her as well. But um, so now I, I was curious uh, with East Forty Farm and Dairy. So that's Your farm. I didn't realize you owned the farm. I wasn't sure if you were buying milk or if it was your farm. This is this milk is coming from your farm.
3: Yeah. So when I started the business back in twenty eleven, I was leasing space from another cheesemaker and buying milk from a local dairy. And when I reached the point of uh, growing. Out of the space and needing my own space, it, it happened to work out that I um, had had uh, fall in love with a farmer who said, um, "Hey, you know, uh, marry me and and you can have a farmstead dairy." And Aww, <laughs> so, that's the best. So, I love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we 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 bought the farm and I built my custom creamery and uh, the decision was made. As has been the decision, basically every decision I've made for the business since I started it in 2011 was to grow things slowly. So we got Darla, the spokes cow, um, uh, our first cow. And then, and she was, she was already pregnant. And then we, we added two more cows that next year, but everything else has just been making our own cows, not bringing any in. So last year was finally, uh, the herd was finally large enough and making producing enough milk so that 100% of the milk came from the farm. So 2022 is a big year.
1: Oh my goodness! So that's well. Congratulations, first off, that's huge. Um, And I guess then your cheese can technically be considered a homestead cheese now. Is that correct?
3: Uh, Farmstead, I think, is is the marketing term that we like.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, I. But it's not often that you can find that. Um, So I'm. You know, all in one kind of business model. It's very tough to do. It's very hard work. Um, I'm very impressed that you can do it. And, um, does that mean that you can make cheese? You probably are not making cheese year, year round then. I was curious if it was like a seasonal thing that you were doing with the milk or is it like, yeah, I guess it's seasonal, right?
3: No, no. I am making cheese year round because I've spread out when the cows are getting bred. So that way I always have some cows in milk. And, and this, this year is actually so this is going to be the start of the, the second year. Um, so I'll be adding three more cows cause I have, I have heifers that will be freshening over the next couple of months. So I'll be increasing the herd in, um, well, in a couple of months. And so I'll have more milk, which makes more cheese, which means I'm looking for more wholesale customers. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. But the um, the it's definitely a different rhythm being a farmer cheesemaker as opposed to a cheesemaker buying in milk because I you know I'm getting up in the morning and uh, Neil and I milk the cows together and uh the, you know it 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 definitely sets the rhythm for the day when you're starting and ending it um, trying to make sure you're still clean.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. So you have the morning and the evening milking, and then and a constant cleaning and then cheese making happens before yes. the evening milking i hope or is that what happens there
3: yeah. So, uh, so cheese making happens after morning milking. Uh, so right now the rhythm is making cheese three days a week, but every day of the week I am doing cheese maintenance. So that's turning the cheeses in the cave. That's trying to get ahead of the mite population in the cheese cave, my least favorite job. Um, it's, it's, uh, I do all of the marketing, um, and, and sales. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a huge, um, uh, army of people doing things behind me. I, have, I it's, it's, I am still the cheesemaker and, and, um, uh, you know, doing totally. all the social media and looking for customers and, and, and all that. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so are you, are you selling, so I, are you selling a lot outside of Maine yet or, uh, or just a little bit right
3: now? So that becomes a little complicated question, because if you had asked me that question before 2020, the answer would have been, yes, I was selling a lot out of Maine because I was selling to three distributors that were taking the cheese all over the place. Uh, post-2020, when when the uh, you know, world got shook, as it were, um, I, I changed the business so that I was concentrating as much on direct-to-consumer sales as possible. And, uh, and, and increased markets in a way that I wasn't anticipating, including starting to sell to farmers markets for the first time. And, uh, since, uh, since now we're three years out from, from that big disruption and I, I'm only now starting to talk to distributors again. So right now, in terms of wholesale, I have some wholesale customers that I'm shipping to outside of the state directly. Um, UPS Second Air is, is my friend, um, uh, but otherwise, the, the majority of my wholesale business is, still, is is within the state. But then I do have a um, a, a website, so I do you know online sales uh, with shipping nationwide.
1: Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, though, like you, you're doing well with the amount of cheese that you have in stock, because I noticed online a lot of your cheeses are are, are sold out right now, which is, I, I think, is a good thing for you. And I'm sure you're trying to keep up um, with everything, it sounds like. Um, one thing I think we should talk about on the show is what kind of cheeses you're creating, because um, to me, they are very delicate cheeses. Uh, working with soft ripens um, I, and a few Tome-style cheeses, will. Well, maybe you could tell me, how many cheeses are you making and and, and what styles are they predominantly?
3: So I I have five standard cheeses uh, that I try and keep in production all the time. And then from there, it sort of fluctuates depending on how much milk I have and, and what's happening within my, my business rhythms. So when I started the business, I, it, I wanted to make sure that I, I – could have a cheese that would appeal to everybody. So when I started, I was making fresh basket ricotta, a bluey rind cheese, um, uh, the Opus 42, which is my my aged cheese, and the Cascadillo Blue, which is a blue cheese. And I always think of myself first as an aged cheese maker, because when you walk into my cave, you see all of the beautiful wooden shelves stacked up with um, aged cheeses. But in fact, really... I'm a soft ripened cheese maker because I make them by the hundreds and they're, you know, they're in and out of there really fast. (laughs) So, so yeah. So I, 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 I've had to embrace the fact that yes, in fact, I I do make many, many, many more bloomy rind cheeses than anything else. Um, I, I, I'm also just, I, am about to be releasing two new cheeses, which were born of an accident. Uh, one of the the things that I love about the cheese making community is I have made some great friends that I can also text at odd hours of the day and say oh man, this just happened. What should I do? And uh, my, my, my two, my two big go-tos are, are uh, 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 Amelia at uh, uh, Pure Luck Dairy in Texas and Sue Miller at Bertrand Hills in Pennsylvania. And I had, I was in the middle of making a very large uh, volume of um, what would have been the base for the rockweed. And we had just had a cold snap and I had, uh, my milk got too cold and I, I don't know, was probably distracted because I'm frequently doing too many things at one time and I didn't notice it. <laughs> and when I put the rennet in, uh, it, the milk was too cold. It just was not coagulating and, and time was passing and I was taking the pH and it was getting too acidic. So I, I texted Sue, I'm like, help. <laughs> and she said, throw the lid on it, come back to it tomorrow it'll develop, it'll coagulate. And so I, in, you know, over the course of 20 years, I had never ventured into the realm of lactic cheeses and this forced me into it. And so I did some experience I was like, all right, we're, to get, we're going to take, take this as a teaching learning moment. And from that, I developed a cheese that's called Long Cove, which is a um a a lactic uh um spruce bark wrapped cheese and a cheese i'm calling calliope which is this uh, little little pyramid that that's just like sucking on cream it's just so good uh (laughs) and and i've I've now replicated them intentionally a few times and so yeah so i'll be releasing those next month which will be so different than anything else that i'm making
1: oh my goodness i'm super looking forward to that um Yes, please. Uh, I, and I love that you have your che- you know, your cheese people on <laughs> yeah. uh, speed dial. Who doesn't want to have those questions answered right away? Fantastic. <laughs> uh, I know that it, it, when it comes down to things in, in the cheese yeah. world, we're all really well connected. So I, uh, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, I was going to ask you as a follow-up, like what kind of goes into designing your cheeses? Is it mostly you think by accident or by nature, or is it something like you predetermine beforehand?
3: Uh, so that was, that was my first accidental cheese. And I, and I know that all of the great cheeses, that is how they started. And if you, you know, hear, hear most cheesemakers say that their, their best cheese always comes that way. So who knows what'll happen with those two cheeses. But, uh, like with the rockweed, which, uh, which is what brings us here today. (laughs) <laughs> and why why people know who I am these days? So when I made the move uh, onto the farm, uh, it's just, it's a beautiful spot. It's in Walderboro, Maine, which is uh, in the what's called the mid coast of Maine. So so it's about an hour and a half north of Portland, right on the coast, and I'm on the Madamac River. And the farm is a saltwater farm that stretches down to Long Cove, which is the most important clamming bed, uh, in, in Maine, basically. Um, it, it doesn't close when other beds close because of, of rain. And, and I actually, I get to see the working waterfront as it were, when I look out, go down there and there'll be clamors. So when I moved here and, and started building up the herd, I, I really wanted to create a cheese that was a taste of place. And it was, it, it was natural to, to look to the seaweed on the shore and I contacted uh, Main Coast Heritage veg- Sea Vegetables at, who are sellers of uh, seaweed products. And they sent me a whole bunch of samples of different types of seaweed and in different states. Uh, so like dried um, uh, versus powdered versus uh, flakes. And I spent six months and just let myself go. Um, I, I, I was dedicating... Uh, just ten gallons a week to to the experiments and and age, you know, trying it age, trying it sprinkled through the, the entirety of the curd, or trying to use the seaweed as a replacement for dry salt on the rind, and then finally it was the the, the powdered bladderwack seaweed as a ribbon between two halves of the blooming rind cheese. That I when I tasted, I'm like, yeah, this this is this is what I want this this is what the farm tastes like. It smells like the farm. It's, it's got, you know, the creaminess. It's, it's just, you know, and the, the seaweed is a little bit on the green side. So it sort of it's the suggestion of the forest and the sea. I get sort of rhapsodic about the cheese.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, and you're not the only one because, um, in 2019, Yankee magazine named it ten, one of the 10 best foods in new England. And then in 2022, you won that major award from the World Championship Cheese um, Award. So I, I think you're doing pretty well with rockweed.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I, I never complain about that cheese. <laughs> 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 well, and, and how does it feel to win all these awards nowadays? Well, uh, totally overwhelming. Uh, I, you know, I will say that that when when I've had when I had the recognition with with Down East Magazine and Yankee Magazine, and and this last year, Culture Magazine in the in the summer issue uh, featured Rockweed as the centerfold. That is that that's great because it leads to to. Um, again, consumers finding me and 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 either coming to the farm or or ordering online or coming to one of the farm to table suppers we have here at the farm. Uh, but but uh, winning an award also raises the visibility to within the industry. So here I am, one person making about seven thousand pounds of cheese a year. And, uh, you know, trying, trying to do my best to, to be consistent and maintain quality and now also to be consistent and maintain quality with the milk. And, and I, it, it, I always want to be a better cheesemaker, but, but now I, I there's there, I, I want to, I want more people to know that I'm making this lovely little cheese over here on the coast of Maine. And, and that was a great way, great way to get that out there.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you've totally highlighted Maine. I, I'm, I'm more excited than ever to come out and like visit you. I have to, I have to drive up north and, and just say a, a quick hello and, and study Maine a little bit more because I mean, um, reading about um, how you're making the cheese and um, the inspiration you have for this cheese rockweed, I'm, I'm, just seems very romantic and truly uh, what cheese is about. So I really do want to get out to you. And, and say hello, now, I have a very serious question for you, which is, um, have you ever paired a martini with rockweed?
3: That is in fact one of my favorite cocktails to have with rockweed. Um, I will mention though that Maine has some amazing distilleries, and there is one that's uh it's called barons, and they make a sea kelp vodka. So if you have the sea kelp vodka martini with rockweed, you are just next level happy.
1: Ooh, I like this recommendation. Well, Allison, um, I just want to take a quick break for our sponsor. Um, Hey, everyone, you're listening to Cutting the Curd. I'm your host, Cara Warren. I'm here with Allison Lincoln of Lincoln's Gorgeous Cheese, and we will be right
2: back. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin, in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fritiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Comté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Comté is the same. That's C-O-M-T-E-hyphen-U-S-A dot com. Hey, everyone. Welcome
1: back to Kind the Curd. I'm your host, Kara Warren. I'm here with Allison Lincoln of Lincoln's Gorgeous Cheese. We're talking about lots of things from martinis to rockweed, the soft, bloomy rind seaweed cheese, to all everything Maine, to terroir of Maine, which is coming up. And just I'm so excited to have Allison here. Um, I want to read a quick um, statistic that I think is very interesting to to talk about, which is, according to the Maine Farmland Trust, Maine now boasts 71 cheesemakers, the highest number of any state except New York. Um, Allison, I want to throw it over to you. What does it mean to be a Maine cheesemaker?
3: So Maine has an interesting history because there were so many people that came uh, and started uh, as part of the, the back-to-the-land movement. They suddenly had goats in their backyards, which led to having milk, which they had to do something with, so they became cheesemakers. And that, <laughs> in Maine, is a lot of the story of, of why people have become cheesemakers. starts with a goat in the backyard. Uh, when I started my business in 2011, there were fewer cheesemakers. Um, there was really an explosion, I'd say, Right around 2016, when all of a sudden, every time I turned around, there were like 10, 20 more cheesemakers in the state. And uh, Maine, I think, is a really unique place to be able to make cheese because the Department of Agriculture is really encouraging people to um, not have a lot of barriers to get into it. So, for example, the cost of the license is not only not very high, but they also prorate it based on the volume that you produce. Uh, Maine is a legal to sell raw milk state. Uh, They also allow people to sell heat-treated cheese, and so, for a lot of people, that means that they could ha- be making cheese from with four goats and selling it legally without having to have a lot of investment and in infrastructure. Uh, I, then there are huge cheese makers like Pineland Farms, which are making which is making cheese on the tens of thousands of pounds, like a month, and distributing nationwide. I fall somewhere kind of in the middle with my my uh, little herd of, of cows and, um, I'm making about, uh, about 7,000 pounds of cheese a year. Uh, but I do pasteurize because I'm making, uh, <laughs> I'm making so many more soft, ripened cheeses, uh, cheeses that are aged for less than 60 days. Uh, so they have to be pasteurized and I sell out of state, uh, across state lines. So it has to be pasteurized.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I See, I didn't realize that, actually. I mean, for soft, bloomy rind cheeses, that makes absolute sense. But I didn't realize that for the interstate commerce, that it, it's better to have it pasteurized. That's very interesting. Um, ah, hmm. Um, well, and, and then I'm curious, um, is it helpful for you to have a state guild? Have you been a part of the Cheesemakers Guild of Maine at all? Um, you, you seem to know a lot about, like, uh, the different... Um, resources of, um, you know, becoming a cheese marker and how you can use help from the state and, uh, and lots of places within the state to, to get, become a cheesemaker.
3: So the Maine Cheese Guild, I, I think just celebrated 30 years of existence. And it just started with uh, a couple of, of, uh, cheesemakers. Um, and in fact, one was just honored, uh, uh, um, Caitlin Hunter, who who founded Appleton Creamery, she she retired um, after thirty years as a maker and had founded was one of the founders of the guild, and uh, so so it's been it, it the point of the guild for the most part has been for education, and so there I have attended so many great workshops from cheesemakers like Jonathan Caldwell and uh, Yvonne Larche and. I cannot think of the woman's name who makes the clabbered cheeses in North Carolina. Um, but so it's been, it's been great to, to be able to have, have access to, to learning opportunities that are hands-on that are happening right here in the state. And that's happening because of the cheese guild. Uh, there's now, uh, the, the guild is now starting to work on promoting Maine cheese more. Uh, there's a new executive director and I'm looking forward to seeing Seeing how that evolves, because I still think that that uh, people aren't thinking cheese when they think Maine. And given you know there are so many of us now around the state, and you know very high quality cheese is being made here, uh, but nobody knows about it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I, I I would be more than excited to do a Maine cheese trail. I, w- I I think that's fantastic. Set me up. I will eat a lobster roll and go visit many cheesemakers. I'm I'm way down for that. <laughs>
3: Yes. Well, there is a main cheese trail and actually there's a, there are a couple of sub main cheese trails. I'm a member of the mid coast cheese trail. Mid coast is again, that, that area um, uh, sort of halfway up, up the state on the coast. And, and we're, we're a loose organization of about 15 cheese makers that within an hour you can get to, to all of our, our facilities. Uh, so yeah, head on up the coast, look at the website and, and uh, see where else you can go. Uh, That's actually, that brings me up to one of the other questions I had,
1: which is, um, can you say there are different terroirs within Maine uh, between like the most southern to to the north to the middle? Um, Because it's kind of a longer state, you know, I'm curious.
3: Yeah, so that's an excellent question, Kara, because this is something I think about all the time. Um, So I, when I started making the cheese, I was making it with the milk from a farm that was in a different part of the state and then i started making cheese uh, uh, buying milk from a different farmer um and i realized that there were differences in the flavors of my cheese they were subtle but i noticed them because i'm eating my cheese and drinking the milk all the time uh so what i have come to realize um is that terroir as it applies to cheese is just like terroir as it applies to the growing grape so the what the cows, the ground that the cows are standing on, eating their grass and and the hay that they are eating, that's going to be what's influencing what the the milk and 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 hence the the cheese gets gets its uh, terwarness from. Uh, <laughs> so so I don't think it's it's oh it's only the the geographic spread. Yep. I oh my my farm is a saltwater farm. I um oh, it's uh, I'm in um uh, it's, I, I'm on. this is the silliest place uh the 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 geography of this farm the high point is 131 feet and that's over in the corner next to the cemetery and then we're kind of in a bowl and then the entire and that's at, at where the street is and the entire farm slopes downhill to the river and um and so we get the the breezes coming up from from the ocean um, which are frequently just salt laden and there is there is some marsh grass here and and some of the the quality, so when when we do soil sampling and, and you know working to improve the soil so that the cows are eating the best quality grass and that we're growing the best quality hay here, that's all playing into what the cheese is going to taste like. And And one of these days, I have this goal of doing a milk, and cheese tasting to you know like when you you um i'm 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 flashing on one of my favorite movies uh uh, french kiss when when kevin klein has has her smell the different um grasses and plants that are growing in the soils and then having her taste the wine like i want to have this you know we're going to smell and taste the the elements that are growing in the feel that the cows are grazing on drink the milk and then eat the cheese and, and see if we can trace all of those elements. Silly. I, but I think that would be no,
1: no, no. I think that would be amazing. Um, I I mean, when you started talking about the the sea salted like dew that comes onto the to the grasses, I was thinking it reminded me a lot of of what I've um, kind of studied around Normandy. And the fact that you're making uh, soft, ripe and bloomy cheeses really lines up Super well with that because in Normandy they have the Camembert. So I'm just thinking like right now how perfect it is that you're making those cheeses and understanding you know the main terroir like that um, just makes me more excited about your cheeses. Um, So I'm like I just need to eat more of your cheeses. Which by the way, thank you for sending me the Rockweed and the Opus 42. They were both really exquisite. Um, Opus 42 is just I love the lactic crumble that happens there. It's just that brightness. I. I think it's fantastic. And the rockweed is a, is a revelation. I can't wait to try it again and again and see how it changes over time, um, You know, especially with the milking seasons and everything. I, I just, It's delicious. So um, I want to kudos to you again for that. Just perfect. Um, and then I wanted to throw it out to you now about um, cooking with some of your cheeses or maybe winter recipes for everyone to enjoy. Do you have any good uh, winter recipes right now uh, to cook with uh, your cheeses?
3: Absolutely. So, I happen to love cooking with cheese and uh because my background from the museum side of things, I I was designing education programs and and I've always felt that um you 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 can understand better what you're working with if you can place it within some uh, context that you can understand more readily. And that sort of led to my creating what I call recipe Wednesday. So every Wednesday on my social media feeds on Instagram and Facebook, I post a new recipe and it goes across the, the, uh, um, the spread of all of my different cheeses and there are sweet and savory recipes. And sometimes they're just pairing suggestions. Uh, but, but the, the recipe that is going up this week is for a, uh, Cascadille blue tart with toasted walnuts and onions and you could either make it with a pate brise or make it with a rough puff pastry or you know a store-bought puff pastry and it's just such a nice you know the blue cheese adds that nice warming quality to it but the 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 caramelized onions and toasted walnuts just just you know it's it's warming and and so pleasurable. And then you get the nice crunch from the pastry. And I'm looking out the window right now and we have, I don't know, 11 inches of snow and it's blowing 40 miles an hour. And I want to eat more of that tart right now.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. I I hear you. It's been definitely a winter uh, for everyone. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to the spring and summer to get some sun. But um, uh, I'm curious now I know you've also studied I think we mentioned it earlier in the in the podcast about um, primitive cooking and I was a devilish question is uh, have you had any campfire madness do you like put um, like whole brie like pieces of cheese into the fire on a skillet and like do some crazy things I know I've tried it myself and I think it's always the best but have you tried anything like that.
3: Oh, absolutely. So, so, uh, my pre de Diane, which is an eight ounce blooming rind cheese that is just wonderfully creamy and decadent. One of my, my favorite things to do is I skip the pan. I just put it right on top of the grill or we, we use a, a, a Brio fire, Um, pit and it's got a sear plate so you throw that on there and it will caramelize the rind a little bit and uh, and then it just liquefies and you just have at it with with some bread and that's wonderful but i also if you think about how popular raclette is right now you don't need to have the the fancy little tabletop plug-in thing just take a hunk of cheese put it next to the fire Uh, if you've got a, a a wood stove open up the the wood stove door and and rest the cheese in front of the fire in your wood stove so that the surface gets soft and then you can just scrape that right off onto your onto your bread or vegetables and and uh, have have the most basic kind of raclette there is. Oh my goodness, I love that idea. I cuz I mean
1: how great I think Okay. So now we're bringing it into the wood stove madness, which I think everyone, if you can have one, get one, but then also like cheese and barbecue time. We also kind of hinted about that. And like, I'm looking forward to this year doing more playtime with that. So, um, big time kudos to you, Allison, for mentioning that. Um, I want to say first and foremost, uh, thank you for coming on the show today, by the way, this was a, a true treat. Um, and I'm, I'm psyched to eat more of your cheese coming up this year.
3: Thanks, thanks. And you have to come up and visit and, and, and meet the folks cow.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, I do. I, ca- I can't wait. I mean, I'm sure it's a beautiful herd of cows. I can't wait to meet them. Um, okay, I'm going to give I'm gonna give the quick outro here about how you can find Allison on Instagram. So find Allison on Instagram at Lackin's Gorgeous Cheese. Uh, you can also find her at East 40 Farm. Uh, plus, you can follow us at Cutting the Curd and myself at Kara Warren. Please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, uh, one more note for today's episode, I'm gonna leave a few sound bites of what I was able to record from this year's Fancy Food Show in Vegas. Um, It was certainly better than I thought, and I had a great time seeing everyone. So I hope you enjoy it, and as always, eat more cheese. I'm here with Joan. Uh, Joan, could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Joan Bailey. I'm the copywriter and editor for Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. Great, and what are you most excited about at this year's Fancy Food? Oh, it's so hard to choose. Um, I think. Okay, so I'm really excited about two things, um, because I can never pick just one, and because this is such a big show. Um, I'm really excited about CSU, T-State University, opening, because it is really spectacular. I'm taking the course, totally recommend it, learning a lot, um, and I'm really excited to meet so many cheesemakers in person. I mean, I'm just, well, okay, and eat their cheese, but it's a <laughs> wonderful opportunity to sample and chat, and I'm very, very excited about that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joan. It's wonderful. At the Peterson booth here with Laura. Laura, please introduce yourself.
2: Oh, hey, this is Laura Lydon-McGregor with the Peterson Company. And what
1: are you most excited about for the Fancy Food Show right now here in Vegas?
2: Okay. Well, I'm, I'm most excited about meeting all my friends with the Cheese Importers. That's, uh, it's a, a meeting we're having tonight. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's a really fun meet and greet okay. uh, at Gordon Biersch, if you're not busy. Oh, okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I just like connecting with old friends and yeah. kind of catching up, not just personally, but also professionally and seeing what kind of fun and exciting things are out there. And maybe if I'm quiet and don't talk too much, I can listen better and see what's coming down the pike and maybe hear about things before anyone else. Um, And that's it. Kind of friendly faces. And yeah. All right. I'm here with
1: Marissa. Marissa, can you introduce yourself?
0: I am Marissa DeMayo, Vice President of Marketing for Atalanta Corporation.
1: Great. And what are you most excited about at this year's Fancy Food Show? Well, I
2: am most excited about our brand new booth layout. Uh, My team, led by Lane Lane, our trade show manager, has done a tremendous job putting in all of the
1: creative uh, needs that go into specialty food and specialty cheese into the display of our booth. So I think if you stop by, it's an experience, not just a, a sales handshake. All right, I'm here with Mateo. And Matteo, could you
0: introduce yourself? I'm Matteo Keeler. I'm the cheesemaker at Jasper Hill Farm in Greensboro, Vermont.
1: And what are you most excited about for this fancy food show?
0: Getting to see old friends. It's been a long time. And yeah. uh, just getting the FaceTime and uh, reconnecting with um, our community it's got to be at the top
1: definitely okay
0: cheese people are the best people
1: all right i'm here with stephanie of world's best and she's gonna intro herself
3: hi this is stephanie ciano from world's best cheese and i'm
1: super excited for the fancy food show this year (laughs) yeah and, and a lot of new cheeses or just seeing people again uh, a little bit of both. I love um, our booth because we've got kind of a European and American marketplace of best cheeses from all around the world. Um, we've got an award-winning cheese with ants on it from Australia, from South Adelaide. Um, oh, wow. That won best cheese in Australia. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. excellent. All right. We'll have to yeah. tell everyone to check out the ant cheese. Of course. <laughs> all right. Course. Thank you, Stephanie. That's Thanks, the best. Sarah. Cheers.